0: Hello, and welcome to J.G. Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at JC Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 16 of the book of Luke, verse 15, and let's get into it. Now, last time we finished our discussion on the parable of the shrewd steward, and we started to take a look at the greedy Pharisees. So let's continue to unpack our study with these greedy Pharisees. I wanna take a look at verses uh, beginning with verse 14, where we have the law of the prophets in the kingdom. And I wanna read these four verses. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Now whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her, who is divorced from her husband, Commits adultery. Now, outwardly, here in verse 15, the Pharisees appeared to be pious and spiritual. They reckoned themselves to be righteous in the sight of men. But beneath this deceptive exterior, God saw the greed of their hearts. He was not deceived by their pretensions. The type of life which they displayed and which others approved was an abomination in the sight of God. And their type of life that they displayed, we can take a look at Psalm 49, verse 18. But they esteemed themselves successful because they combined a religious profession with financial affluence. But as far as God was concerned, they were spiritual adulterers. They professed love for Jehovah, but actually Mammon was their God. Self-justification is a temptation for religious people. Now, beginning here with verse 16, the continuity of verses 16 through 18 can be difficult to understand. On first reading, they seem to be quite unrelated to what has gone on before and to what follows. However, they can be best understood by remembering that the subject of chapter 16 is the covetousness and the unfaithfulness of the Pharisees. The very ones who prided themselves on the careful observance of the law are now exposed as hypocrites. The spirit of the law is in sharp contrast to the spirit of the Pharisees. The law and the prophets were until John. With these words, the Lord described the legal dispensation, which began with Moses and ended with John the Baptist. But now a new dispensation is being inaugurated. From the time of John, the gospel of the kingdom of God was being preached. The Baptists went forth announcing the arrival of Israel's rightful king. He told the people that if they would repent, the Lord Jesus would reign over them. As a result of his preaching and the later preaching of the Lord himself and of the disciples, there was an eager response on the part of many. Everyone is pressing into it. And that means that those who did respond to the message literally stormed into the kingdom. The tax collectors and sinners, for instance, had to jump over the roadblocks that were set up by the Pharisees. Others had to deal violently with the love of money in their own hearts. Prejudice had to be overcome. And the last part of verse 16, it seems best to see it as an expression of one's enthusiastic drive to enter the kingdom. In any case, it is clear that the Pharisees had missed what was really of value, while all around them were people whose values were in order and who were energetically seeking the kingdom. Now in verses 17-18, the new dispensation did not mean that basic moral truths were being discarded. It would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Now, a tittle of the law could be compared to the crossing of a T or dotting of an I. The Pharisees thought they were in the kingdom of God. But the Lord was saying, in effect, you cannot disregard the great moral laws of God. And still claim a place in the kingdom. Perhaps they would ask, what a great moral precept are we disregarding? The Lord pointed the Lord uh, pointed them to the law of marriage as a law that would never pass away. Now, this brief excerpt from Jesus's teaching on divorce and remarriage is included, as an example of one aspect of the law that the Pharisees tended to minimize. The teaching is essentially the same that is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, except Luke omits the phrase except for marital unfaithfulness. And two, says that the remarried man commits adultery rather than he causes his first wife to do so. And thirdly, it includes a comment about a man who marries a divorced woman. Now, any man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery also. This is exactly what the Pharisees were doing spiritually. The Jewish people had been brought into a covenant position with God. But these Pharisees were now turning their backs on God in a mad quest for material And perhaps the verse suggests that they were guilty of literal adultery as well as spiritual. But to reflect on verses 14 through 18, we saw how they ridiculed Jesus' teachings about money because they themselves loved money. They were worldly-minded, professional religionists. It is difficult to see the connection in the verses about the law and divorce. Perhaps Jesus meant that since the gospel was influencing the people so profoundly, it was harder for Pharisees to justify their hypocritical teachings. While they professed to be the guardians of the law, they ignored the teachings of the law about divorce, allowing divorce for any trivial cause. Now we're going to begin a new section here, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, despite not having an introduction as most parables do, this section is best seen as a parable. It is set in a series of encounters with the Pharisees and must be understood in that context. The Pharisees did not follow their own scriptures, the law and the prophets that we saw in verse 16, so they were no better than the rich man's brother, who have Moses and the prophets that we'll see in verse 29. The Pharisees professed belief in a future life and in future judgment. They did not live in conformity with that belief, however, but in the pursuit of wealth, just like the rich man of this parable. Now, while the parable does contain a few doctrinal implications, it must be kept in mind that one cannot build a complete eschatology upon it. To, To do that will result in anachronism for Revelation chapter 20 verse 14, places throwing of death and Hades into the lake of fire at the end of history. Well, What the story does emphasize about And the last things is, number one, the future reversal of the human condition. Secondly, the reality of future judgment based on one's decisions in this life. And thirdly, the futility of even a resurrection to persuade those who persist in rejecting God's revealed word. So turn with me again back to our scriptures with verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, or can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now verses 19 to 21, the Lord concludes his discourse on stewardship of material things by this account of these two lives, these two deaths, and these two hereafters. Now, it should be noted that this is not spoken of as a parable. And I mention this because some critics seem to explain away the solemn implications of the story by waving it off as a parable. At the outset, Mm -hmm. it should be made clear that the unnamed rich man was not condemned to Hades because of his wealth. The basis of salvation is faith in the Lord, and men are condemned for refusing to believe on him. But this particular rich man showed that he did not have true saving faith by his careless disregard of the beggar who was laid at his gate. If he had had the love of God in him, He could not have lived in luxury and all this comfort and ease when a fellow man was outside his front door begging for a few crumbs of bread. He would have entered violently into the kingdom by abandoning his love of money. It is likewise true that Lazarus was not saved because he was poor. He had trusted the Lord for the salvation of his soul. And now notice the portrait of the rich man sometimes called divus, which is Latin for rich, he wore only the most expensive, custom-made clothing, and his table was filled with the choicest gourmet foods. He lived for himself, centering to bodily pleasures and appetites. He had no genuine love for God and no care for his fellow man. Now, Lazarus presents a striking contrast. He was considered a wretch, a wretched beggar, dropped off every day in front of the rich man's house. He was full of sores, emaciated with hunger, and plagued by unclean dogs that came and licked his sores. A Pharisee said the truth of the law of Moses. From Genesis to Deuteronomy and the prophets in verse 19 here, representing the rest of the of the Old Testament, they failed to respond not only to the good news of the kingdom but even to their own scriptures. And this paragraph vividly pictures the earthly state of the two people and prepares us for the reversal that we find in verses 22 to 24, though this is not in itself the main feature of the story. The fact that Jesus named the beggar but not the rich man suggests that the former was ultimately more important. Characters and parables are not usually given names. And the color purple was a dyed cloth that was worn by the wealthy. And in a vivid contrast to the rich man, Jesus depicts Lazarus as neglected and subjected to insult even by the dog. And with that, we will stop there for this time. Next time, we'll pick this up right here with verse 22. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.